after everything that Holy Mother Church has done for us, we're going to leave at this time. This is all we have. This is our church. We're going to stay and we're going to fight. And nobody but nobody is ever going to drive us out of this church, of our church, the one true church founded by Jesus Christ. So uh, thank you. Thank you so much, Reverend Fathers, sisters, everybody, brothers and sisters in Christ, sorry, sisters in Christ for the most part. This is terrible. I, I don't know that I've ever done a, an all-women's conference, so I'm already nervous. And then I go to get ready to come over here, and I forgot a tie, and I've got a wrinkled shirt at an all-women's conference. You're going to notice, so I might as well tell you right up front. Don't tell my wife. That's all I ask. <laughs> all right, I got some, uh, some notes, just so I don't get too far afield here. Oh, one thing I wanted to ask, um, how many people here, just so I kind of, I think I can guess the answer to this, but how, is everyone here a traditional Latin Mass Catholic? Or are there, everybody? Is, is there anybody who's not, who's new to tradition and who's not really? No? Couple? Okay, I, I just want to say welcome, and, and, and the whole name of the game of what we're all doing is trying to make welcome those who are not traditional Catholics as well. We're just finding out about it, as, as we saw over COVID, when I became a, a big fan of, of your, 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 your priest's uh, sermons, obviously, for obvious reasons. I kind of thought Father might be wearing an orange jumpsuit today, in fact, for those sermons. But, but so many people poured into tradition at that point, which obviously was God's, uh, which was so, so providential. And uh, I really mean this when I say those who are not traditional yet, I think, I think there's a movement, despite what's happening in the Vatican right now, and I'm going to try to be nice. I will probably fail at that effort. But they're seeing it too. They're seeing it too. They know the future of the Catholic Church right now is the traditional Catholic movement. But for those of you who are new to it, or who may be listening to this online, we're not here to say told you so. You have been up against, we've all been up against, a massive fake news propaganda campaign in the Catholic Church for an awfully long time. Sister Lucia of Fatima talked about diabolical disorientation. And we have to count on our friends and family and neighbors being diabolically disoriented. We even have to leave it open, the possibility that we ourselves are to some extent, diabolically disoriented. So we're not here to say, told you so to anybody. We're here to open our arms wide. We're here to lovingly lead our co-religionists into the light. Because as you know, darkness is all around us now in a way that we've never seen. So uh, unite the clans, right? I mean, seriously, that's what this is all about. We need to do that. It's what God wants us to do. And I would also say that I would, I would much prefer to drop that. I don't know if Father agrees with this or not. I wish we didn't have to use the, the traditionalist because it's redundant. If you're a Catholic, of course you're a traditionalist if you're a true Catholic. And I think most of us hold on to that just because Nancy Pelosi thinks that she's a Catholic. <laughs> Our illustrious, confused president, Joe Biden, thinks that he's a Catholic, and there's a number of individuals in the Vatican who also mistakenly believe that they are Catholics at this point. And so we need to use that word traditionalist for a little while longer, because uh, just, to, just for convenience sake. 
But we are not, speaking for myself, I am not a liturgy snob. I'm not a Latinist. I don't want anybody to look at us and say, or me and say, hey, this, this guy thinks he just jumped off a holy card. He's better than everybody else. I'm just a dad, I'm just a guy, you know, regular guy from the Midwest, trying to save my soul and trying to save my kids' souls. And I can't go, <laughs> I can't go to the Nova Sordo Mass. I, I struggle, and there are a lot of really good people who go and, and I see them, you know, praying the rosary during confession on Saturday afternoon, and God, God bless every one of them. But I, for, for many of us, it's, it's very difficult. And so we go to the Mass that we grew up with. I literally grew up with the traditional Latin Mass. That's where my soul, my heart is. But again, I'm not a snob, and I always tell the story about that, that liturgy. Your father probably knows uh, Father Romanowski. And I may have told this story, some of you might have heard this story, but I just give you an example of how clueless I am. I'm not a stuffy liturgist. I don't know that much about this. It's about survival, but I'm not a liturgist. And so I was serving Father Romanowski's mass down in, in, uh, in, in uh, Mexico a few years ago. And after mass, there's there a lot of tourists in this little place at Playa de Carmen, coming in, and we had Mass, it was beautiful, I served. And Father asked me, Father Romo says, can you go out and roll up my, my altar cloth? Because it's not the church's, it's, it's mine, it's expensive. So I go out there, and you know, there's still a half, you know, a bunch of people in the church, and I, and I look at the altar cloth, and there's, he gives me the tube, and I said, it's a cardboard tube, you know? And I'm like, okay, I think I can do this. So I, I began rolling the, the altar cloth up, got her good and tight, and then, I, and then I started jamming it inside the tube, as one does. And of course it wouldn't fit. And now I'm embarrassed. So I think, this is ridiculous. What is wrong with you? Just roll it tighter. So I put it back on the altar. And I, and I grabbed the, 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 the Misala Romanum and a couple of other heavy things. And I put it at the end of the altar cloth to get her, get her good and tight, you know. And I'm rolling that thing. I'm rolling it, rolling it. And I finally get her done. And I jam it in there. And it fits. And I go to Father Romanowski, I say, Father, <laughs> I did it, man. It was tough, but I, he goes, he looks at it, he goes, what is wrong with you? It goes on the outside of the tube. <laughs> so, so, I admit my shortcomings. When it comes to these things, I'm so glad we have so many great priests to take care of the liturgical end of, of all of this. But I come to you, I come to you in all seriousness as somebody who's got who's got stories to tell that suddenly became extremely relevant over the past few months, few years. Stories of the past. So the title of this talk today is Future Depends, that the future depends on, Catholic, on our Catholic past. I happen to be old enough to remember the Catholic past, and I want to show, share some of those stories with you in case you're discouraged. A lot of people are afraid right now. They're angry and afraid. They don't know what they're going to do with, with Traditionis Custodis and, and all of these problems. I would say I remember the past, and I also remember the heroes. I'm the son of Walter Matt. I'm a, my mentor and friend was Michael Davies. I received the sacrament of confirmation from Archbishop Marcel Lefebvre. So I remember these men. I know what they, what they went through. And you know what, you know what I, would, I would share with you, especially for those of you who are, who are a little newer to this movement, what I would tell you is that these were men that were full of life, full of laughter, full of wisdom, full of faith, but they were lonely. It was a lonely fight. There was nothing cool. <laughs> so we were traditional before traditional was cool, in other words. I was just a kid. So everything I'm talking about here, I'm talking about this, this, the, the giants on whose shoulders I stand. 
But there was nothing cool about what they were doing at that point. It was Felt Banner City. It was John Denver guitar stuff up with us, you know, tearing all the statues out, getting on Father Skippy, and everything was just... Bishop Clueless. I mean, it was just nuts. So as a traditional Catholic, you were the pariah. You were just a nut, a nut job. You know, you paid any attention. You, could, you were not paying attention to the, 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 what was happening, the great future that lay out ahead of us. And yet these, these men stayed the course, and they fought. They fought as heroes, and they fought as unsung heroes. So I would say that we don't really have any reason today to whine when you think about or to complain what you think about what our fathers in this movement and our mothers in this movement went through, the suffering that went through, the ostracization, the mockery that they went through in order to become, to, to keep the light of faith alive, in order to keep the traditional Latin Mass alive. And there were goofy aspects of it. I learned to, I used to, I tell this story before, where my mother and father went and rescued one of these altars out of a church back in 1970, whatever, three or four, little side altar, but it was big. You don't realize how big a side altar is until you jam it into the basement next to the pool table. <laughs> Looks pretty big. So that's how, that, so that's how they started our, our, our catacomb chapel, and it was wonderful. And, and, but it was a little awkward when I'd have friends over from the neighborhood and we're shooting pool, and there's this huge statue. But there was nowhere else to go. We were, we were, we were fortunate. Many people were simply in hotel rooms having mass during those years. And then I would, I would just I would tell you that that's what, that's what was required. There was nothing else for us. Nothing else. There, there was no Father Nolan. There was no Fraternity of St. Peter. There was no Saint Society of St. Pius X. No Institute of Christ the King. Diocesan priests were, had either sold because, through obedience, they either obeyed their way into the new church, or they left. They left the priesthood. It was a difficult time, in other words. But what I hope to say, to convey to you today at some point through the course of my talk, it saved our lives, it saved our souls. It wasn't just the pioneers of the movement did a great thing for history. I'm a traditional Catholic today because, I was, because my father had the courage to take us into the basement for mass and to welcome, to make our home one of these little places where the men in black, we used to call them, the priests who were thrown out in the cold, we were ostracized, we gave up pensions, we gave up everything, insurance, everything, for the Mass. They gave it all up, and when they would come to little houses like mine, and maybe some of you were on that same circuit, or your, your mothers and fathers may have been, whatever. When they would come to ours, there was nothing glorious about it. We were, we were hiding out in the basement, it was underground, with little kids serving your Mass, because there were no other priests, there were no deacons. I was one of those little kids. You know, learning to serve Mass in the basement. But what they did, friends, and I know we can do it again now, and we're going to do it again now, only in spades, the opportunity that we have right now is so much better. And do you know who knows how great this opportunity is? Pope Francis. He knows if we are left to continue in this position as point of the spear, and I'm talking about priests like yours, and I'm talking about families like yours, bishops like Schneider, archbishops like Vigano, if we are allowed to continue this, the Novus Ordo experiment will collapse, and they know it. But we have to go through a time like many of us went through back in those days with the men in black. So a lot of people are very concerned about Traditionus Custodis, and I'm guessing most of you probably are talking about this a lot. What's going to happen? God is good. 
The fraternity of St. Peter apparently has an, an archangel who's on their shoulder and inter, inter, interceding on their behalf in heaven because for the moment your situation is good. Many people's situation is not good, as you know. Terrible. They just lost the mass in Chicago. They're losing the mass in D.C. They're taking it away, friends. And if you ever wanted an excuse or a way of explaining how we are not the aggressors, we're not doing anything wrong. In fact, Traditionus Custodis, who is it going after most? Diocesan priests. What are most diocesan priests doing? They're saying the new mass is well as the traditional Latin Mass, as they make their journey into tradition. But from the point of view of the Vatican, can you think of any more unifying thing than a priest who's willing to say both Masses, which is what the diocesan priests are doing? So why are they shutting those guys down? It doesn't make any sense if, unless you, can, you see a certain degree of malice going on here. So we need to look back at the way things were, and we need to look and be realistic about what's happening right now, and I think we need to speak out, because we don't have much more time. This is not the time to just, like I say, just, just pray and obey. It's time to pray, but just obey. The, the obedience part's going to have to be discussed and carefully parsed and nuanced, as we all know now, as we move forward. But the other thing that we have, that we didn't have in the 19, early 1970s, was this massive awakening. I just came back from the Sharp Pilgrimage in France. 20,000 young people. 20,000 and a militant spirit, a Christ-like spirit that, that I've never even seen on the Sharp Pilgrimage. You know what the t-shirt, the official t-shirt was for the Sharp Pilgrimage this year? Guardian de la tradition, the guardians of tradition. Every one of these kids is wearing guardians of tradition on their t-shirt. So we have millions now. I really mean that, millions. If you add everybody up worldwide who's come back to tradition, come back to the ways of our, the faith of our fathers, we're talking millions. That was not the case in 1972 or three. That was not the case at all. Everyone was going in the other direction. The other great, the other reason that I'm smiling over Traditionalist Castellanos to some extent, the other reason I'm hopeful is because we know that there are so many people who now know where it ended up this revolution. You see, it was new in 1969. It was exciting in, felt banners, oh, that's awesome, in 1970. <laughs> Nobody knew how dorky those things were yet. <laughs> so everything was very, very new. Well, now you have, what, what I just said, you have bishops, you have cardinals, you have guys like, men like Cardinal Burke, archbishops like Archbishop Vigano, now Bishop Tobin, the good one, Bishop Strickland, I don't know who's, who's here, but you have bishops that are coming alive. I'm starting to wake up a little bit. You have hundreds and hundreds of priests. There were 280 priests, traditional priests at Sharp this year. 280 traditional priests. You have hundreds of priests, millions of lay people, who now see where this revolution ended up. It did not end up in a good place. Millions have left the faith. Tens of thousands of priests left the priesthood. The religious life, the spiritual, the, 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 the sisters and nuns, most of them are gone outside of traditional Catholic enclaves. We've lost the faith. So when Pope Francis says that we need to return to the new Mass, we need to abandon the traditional Latin Mass for the sake of unity, 
This is either gross incompetence on his part, or he's not, he's, he's fibbing, he's lying. Because you know the answer, right? Three quarters of every Catholic in this country now, three quarters of them, that's millions of our co-religionists, have already abandoned the new Mass. They've left the church. They don't go to Mass. This is a study that just came out. Three quarters of American Catholics do not go to Mass on Sunday anymore, or days of obligation. So when you factor that in, statistically, and the Vatican now wants us to join that group of poor, disenfranchised Catholics, what's left of them, the Vatican must want us also to stop going to Mass and to lose faith, as so many have. But the reality is the new Mass is not proven to be unifying. It's just the opposite. A mass exodus has taken place since the new mass has come in. By the way, hopefully I'll remember to say something about this later. I think there are a lot of Novus Ordo priests. I'm not trying to be critical of them at all. There are so many good priests, I'm sure Father can back me up on this, who are stuck in the Novus Ordo thing. They're making the best of it, and they're fighting to move everything in the direction of tradition. I say again, those are our friends, and those are our allies. We know that, right? I mean, if fathers started saying the new mass, or moving in that direction, I'd be really upset. But when you have diocesan priests who are just figuring it out and moving in the direction of tradition, they're our friends, they're our allies, and we need to make room for them. And I think we're going to see a lot of them now. I've already, I've already known, I know some who are going to move to the traditional mass immediately now because of the aggression shown uh, with respect to traditionalis custodis. Good things, in other words. I, I want to bring you good news and, and, and hope, because I'm full of it. I'm full of hope, and I want to share it with you. Don't give up. Don't just decide that we're going to get beat by these people, because what, another one of the big advantages that we have now is that we're not just talking about Novus Ordo versus traditional Mass. We're not just talking about liturgy. We never were. It was never about liturgical preference back in the early stages of this movement, by the way. It was always about fighting for Christ the King. It was always about restoring the mass of our fathers. But what, they're see what, what people are seeing now, thanks to COVID, thanks to what's happening in the Vatican, we're talking about your civil liberties now. They want to shut you down, right? I mean, they want to shut your churches down. In fact, they did. <laughs> they closed your churches. They want to take away your religious liberty and your religious freedom. They want to get your kids exposed to transsexualism. Ultimately, they want you talking and thinking about putting cell phone technology in your head with this Great Reset, Klaus Schwab, World Economic Forum nonsense that the Vatican is working hand in glove with right now. You see, so it's a lot easier for people to say, what is going on? I just came back from France a little while ago. Do you know that in Paris, they were allowed, no, in, in all of France, they were allowed to leave their homes for one hour a day for over a year. And they had to have a special, like a pass for why they were leaving their house. That was the extent of the lockdown. And now Emmanuel Macaroon, the president of France, <laughs> he just comes out yesterday or the day before very solemnly saying, the uh, time of abundance is over and we are going to have to make sacrifices now. So they're going to start the whole process of food chain breaks and the whole intentional attack on their own countries because affluent countries have to be taken down so that they can have equity and inclusion and they can start their whole new world order. I'm not going to go into all that, but you know that's true. It's very, very, very verifiable. My point for this audience is just to say that it's not hard to make the case. 
Now, I run a traditional Catholic newspaper, and I have my whole life just about. It used to be that wherever I went, I had to try to prove that I'm still in the church, that I'm not a schismatic, you know, and I'm kind of like, you know, always, always getting ready for a fight, going on defense. Just the opposite is the case now. Everywhere I go, anyone who's practicing the Catholic faith, to whatever extent, Novus Ordo or whatever, they're trying to prove their traditional Catholicism to me. Everywhere I go. Because they're seeing what's actually in store for us if we don't get serious in standing up, reclaiming the, the faith of our fathers, and fighting back. And there are some obvious things that, that I know you all know already, but that it's so important as we face now this time. We're facing persecution. Yes, we're facing persecution. And in a minute I'm going to talk about how we get to face persecution. Thank God for that honor. Right? Hilaire Belloc said that when they start starving the lions again, when they start talking persecution again, as they're doing right now, it means one thing. They failed. The revolution failed. They were not able to get inside of our heads and change us as they want. We're still here. We're still breathing. We're still having children. We're still having large families. We are a threat to them. And thank God for it. Because it means they failed to deceive you. So we have these great advantages. And we're going to talk more about that one. The honor of where we are right now. But then we have the obvious things. What exactly are we complaining about? What are we whining about? We still have the faith. God, for whatever reason, has allowed us to keep this faith. He's got something in mind for us. And how did this whole thing get started? How did this whole thing get started? You know the answer to this. One man, the God-man, on the cross, crucified, beat to a pulp, crowned with thorns, and up to the very last moment, his friends must have been thinking, he's going to come off that cross, he's God. He's going to smite these enemies of ours. And then he says, consumatu, says, then he says, it's over, it is finished, and he takes his last breath. <laughs> and Mary Magdalene and John and Our Lady and the other women continued to believe, even after that. But imagine the faith that it took. Imagine how they were mocked. That's how it got started, friends. You didn't know this. But it's good to remind ourselves as we go into a period of persecution. The whole thing started on a crucifix. And then you have the Christians. You have Tarsisius. You have Barbara. You have little Cecilia. You have all those beautiful kids who became lion food, who sang songs of praise as lions tore them to pieces in the Colosseum. Where did they go for Mass? To St. Peter's Basilica? <laughs> they went down into the catacombs, just like we're preparing to do. They went under, this is certainly not a catacomb, by the way, and please God, I hope you can keep it as long as, as possible. It's beautiful. But we're all open to the possibility it may come to that, right? We may end up going down there where the Christians went, to the catacombs. And when they came in, this is something to remember. If it should happen that we have to do this, there's nothing that says it'll be forever. The Christians didn't go down to the catacombs forever. In fact, they went down there for a short time to worship God, to bury their dead, to have their mass. And when they came back up, they turned the entire Roman Empire into Christendom. That's what they did. So I'm not a big fan of saying this is the, the apocalypse, it's the end of the world. People have always thought that. 
And I'm sure there, there, you know, there would have been tempted to think that back then, in those dark days when the faith was just getting started. But they didn't. They kept on believing. They were filled with joy. They were filled with hope. And they went and built the greatest civilization in the history of the world, Christendom. That's what they did when they came out of the catacombs, and so will we. But we may have to go down into the catacombs for a time first. I was over in Japan a couple of years ago and got to learn a story about the Japanese Catholics who for 250 years did not have the mass, did not have priests. 250 years. And when the missionaries finally came to Japan, were allowed to go back into Japan, they found a thriving community of Catholics in Japan that had kept the faith without the mass, without priests. You all know the story of the Vendeans in France. Dismal, miserable experience that they went through for the faith, for the mass, for the monarchy, but mostly for the mass, for the, for, for the Catholic faith of their fathers. So they went in hiding, and if they wanted to have, this was during the French Revolution, of course, the <laughs> revolution that prides itself on liberty, equality, and fraternity, the first thing it did officially, the French Revolutionary government, was commit an act of genocide on their own people in France, and they wiped out 500,000 of our fathers and mothers in the faith. They wiped out 500,000. As far as I'm concerned, the Vendeans are the original traditional Catholics, because they too had to go into the street, into the forests, to have mass. They had secret baptisms. They had secret sacraments as well. But from them, from their witness, what do you think? They said, people, oh, they lost the war. And they did, in a sense. They gave up everything. They had something called infernal columns, the revolution did, where they sent troops, regular troops down, and they literally scorched the earth. They killed every man, woman, child, every dog, every plant, everything in the Vendée. Because Henry de Montfort had planted the faith so deeply there, they wanted to erase the memory of the Catholics of the Vendée. They wanted to erase the memory of the Sacred Heart of Jesus, which is what they had emblazoned on there. So I mean, where is the Sacred Heart emblazoned on their uniforms? But from the Vendée witness then, what do you think? You've got the Curie of ours. <laughs> you got St. Therese of You know, some of the greatest saints in French history coming after 1789 because they hung, hung on to the old faith exactly as we're going to. And the Vendeans are a great story. This conference reminds me a little, a little bit of them because one of the problems with the Vendeans were they were just regular guys, regular people like us. So they'd go out and fight these regular troops. All they wanted to do was to be left alone. We'll touch on that in a moment too. They just wanted to be left alone. They weren't the aggressors. And so Napoleon, who called them les petits giants, like little giants, he said they could have come all the way to Paris. They could have crushed the revolution, but for one thing. Every time they won a battle, they wanted to get back to mom and dad. They wanted to get back to the kids, to their wives. So we can relate to them on several levels. And for the purposes of this conference, a funny story. I think it was after the Battle of Nantes. Before they won it, they, they began to lose. And they began to panic. The Vendean soldiers began to panic. And so they said, this is crazy. We're co totally outnumbered. We're all going to die. Let's get out of here. So they start running off the field, only to meet their wives with saucepans and pails and pitchforks, banging them in the head, saying, you get back out there. You get back out there. You're not coming home, but you've got to win this one. And he's terrified, obviously. They turned around, and, and, uh, and, the, and they carried the day. So there's all sorts of things that we can relate to. From, from the Vendeans. Finally, the last reason that I, I, I'm not ready to open veins over Francis and his roadshow and his Traditionus Custodis 
finally, is because Francis himself is hands down the greatest recruiting agent for traditional Catholicism we've ever seen. I gotta write him a letter of thanks, I really do. The remnant is booming right now, thanks to Francis. He's the great unifier, of course. I've got so many friends that used to be neo-Catholics. Now they're like, hey, Mike, the remnant's awesome. I love it. I've been here the whole time, in fact. That's fine. I want that to happen. That's great. But it's thanks to Francis. Francis has done us the great favor. One of the, and you'll remember those, some of you who've been here, been in this movement for a long time, maybe longer than I or as long as I am. You'll remember papalatry, this whole idea that Sister Mary Chocolate in the fifth grade, God bless her, she didn't. She didn't mean to, but she got a little carried away with her catechism, and so she would literally say, and, she, and many Catholics thought this, that everyone who was chosen to be Pope was chosen by the Holy Spirit, the Holy Ghost, by hand, and to question that candidate, then that Pope, was to question the Holy Ghost. And I happen to have done a couple of conclaves, covered them as a journalist. The way the whole conclave is laid out, makes a laugh of that. It's just not true, Sister Mary Chalkman. No hard feelings, but it's not true. And the reason that we know it's not true is how, you know how it works, they seal that Sistine Chapel, don't they? The elected cardinals go in there and they seal it. Nobody can get in until the conclave is over because the church, Holy Mother Church in her wisdom, is trying to keep out influences that could undermine the, the process of the conclave. So obviously, the church knows very well that evil forces can get into a conclave and change the outcome. So it's not true that, that I mean, I remember, sister, sister, dear sister, she, she actually thought that when the smoke was white over the Sistine Chapel, that there was a miracle, that God made the smoke either be white or black over the Sistine. She just it was sweet, but it's just not true. So then we have this whole generation of Catholics who thought, especially back in those days, that you could not question a pope at all. Of course, there's no, there's no, there's no uh, precedent for this at all in, 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 in church history. So Francis, I think, has done us the great favor of dispelling that notion that you can't criticize a pope. Because he seems to want more and more criticism every day. He seems to be poking fingers in people's eyes to get criticism because he's, trying, he's, he's, he's waging a revolution. There's no question about that. Now, you can say, well, it's not a malicious revolution. All right, I just, I mean, maybe it isn't, but it certainly is a revolution. He's trying to change everything so that it can never be changed back again. That's what he says. That's what he wants. That's why he wants to get rid of the, of the traditional Latin mass. So that was the great impasse in the early days. You can't criticize the Pope. What are you, more, more, more Catholic than the Pope? Remember that one? You don't hear that so much anymore, do you? But, um, so... So th th those are the reasons that, 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 that the, the, the poetry being no longer an issue is a huge, huge benefit for us. We can get real about this now. There simply have been some really, really bad popes. And you shouldn't despair over that. We belong, that sounds arrogant, Christ established the only means of salvation, the one true church established by Jesus Christ, outside of which there is no salvation. Now, they don't teach that anymore, other than in this and your, your benefit to, to your, in your church. But for the most part, that's ignored, even though it's a dogma of the faith. You have to believe extra ecclesia nulla salis in order to be saved. It's a dogma of the faith. So we belong to that church through the grace of God, we, through our baptism, through, our sac through the sacraments that we've received. 
So we understand that from hell's point of view, to destroy the world, he's got to get rid of the Catholic Church. So please don't despair. Don't talk about leaving the church. Don't talk about joining the Orthodox or going off and doing something completely on your own, your homemade church. We're so blessed to have this, situations like this, chapels like yours, churches like yours. God is still in his heaven, happening throughout the whole world. Don't be shocked by the attacks of hell against your church. Don't be shocked by these hellish attacks even against your bishops and priests and popes even. Because that's where we are on the, line, on the timeline of history. And what God wants us to do is stay here. Stay in this church. Never ever leave his church. This is Holy Mother Church. She has given us everything. She has made us everything that we are. And now since she's fallen into the hands of enemies who are trying to rape her and treat her like a cheap whore, right? And we're going to leave? After everything that Holy Mother Church has done for us, we're going to leave at this time? This is all we have. This is our church. We're going to stay and we're going to fight. And nobody but nobody is ever going to drive us out of this church, of our church, the one true church founded by Jesus Christ. What's the time? Because <laughs> I okay, thanks. I'll, I'll, I'll be. I'll wrap up soon. Um, you guys are fun. This is fun. <laughs> but I want to point out one thing too before I leave, and that and that is a, an obvious thing. I think that um, traditional Catholicism has become uh, politicized, but it's, it's not our fault. What they're trying to do is, is obviously you hear like guys like Klaus Schwab, the World Economic Forum, they're talking about they always have those two words, equity and inclusion. Nobody knows what it means. <laughs> but equity and inclusion. Now, how inclusive is extra ecclesia nulla salis? Not at all. It's inclusive, inclusive for everyone who will come in and be, you know, accept the faith and be baptized into the, into the church. But it doesn't just say everybody's going to the happy place, no matter what religion you are, does it? That's a heresy. You have to belong. You have to be subject to the Roman pontiff. You have to be baptized. You have to be the Catholic, in the Catholic Church in order to be saved, objectively speaking. This does not fit in any way, sense, or, form, or, or, or shape, shape or form into the Great Reset, into the New World Order. Because, you see, there was an Old World Order. You know what it was. It was called Christendom. The New World Order is all about crushing the Old World Order. If the New World Order is ever going to rise up, it must rise up from the ashes of a burned out church of Christendom, Western civilization. That's why they're burning it down. It's not your imagination. They want to crush it. They want to crush this church. They want to burn it down and start with a new thing, the ape of God, the New World Order, the Great Reset. So traditional Catholics now, you remember what you were all doing during COVID? How many of you were wearing your mask dutifully every day? Probably not all that many of you. How many of you were vaccinated with Bill Gates' mystery juice? Probably not all that many of you. And when they said to you, you're going to shut your churches down, some of you went radical and started doing things on, on the internet. A bunch of other priests went out in the parking lot, started having parking lot masses that gained international attention, remember? Now remember Pope Francis, I'm just, I'll say Team Francis, Team Francis has already sold out to, to, to Klaus Schwab, to the New World Order, to the United Nations. So he's supposed to be able to deliver us to them. 
He's supposed to be able to assure them there will be no problem. There will be no objection from the Catholic Church because everybody has acquiesced. Everybody's sold out. And all of a sudden, traditional Catholics are popping up all over the place saying, not on your life. We are going to get in the way of this Christophobic new order. And very shortly after that, Prizionos Gustotus landed. Do you get it? That's what, they were, that's what they were concerned about. It was getting stronger. I remember Bishop Ranjith years and years ago said a strange thing. He said, he's from Sri Lanka. He said, if we don't do something about what's happening to the church, there will be no future to the church other than the traditional Latin mass. They all saw it. He was, he's a decent guy. But in other words, there's no doubt that this is going to happen. It's just a question of when. So the opposition that we're feeling right now is very real, it's very intentional, and it's very political. Because all of a sudden, even though all we wanted to do was be left alone, all of a sudden we have become the point of a spear. You know, all of a sudden the front line is, you know, 100,000 homeschool moms. <laughs> Whoever saw that coming? <laughs> you want you want us to teach what? Critical race theory? It'll be a cold day in hell before that front line of old school moms are going to teach critical race theory. And they know it. So we do have, friends, we do have an army. Archbishop Vigano calls it the children of light versus the children of darkness. We didn't ask for it. But then again, we are all confirmed Catholics who have promised that we would rather die than deny the faith. Who said that we are soldiers of Christ. If we're soldiers of Christ, what does that mean? It means we've got to fight. And it's kind of fun, isn't it? Because I don't know about you, I sometimes think that's the best chance some of us have of getting through those pearly gates is the crusade, is the war. You cannot take your faith too, uh, for granted when you live through a period like this. And so there's a challenge here. Yes, it's a wonderful challenge, but there's also a certain benefit from it. I'm going to stay engaged. I'm going to stay fighting. We have to stay fighting. Because it's not it's just we're just going to lose our Latin mass if we don't stay. We're going to lose our children. We're going to lose our country, right? if we don't keep fighting. So there's a, an incentive. God has given all of us a great deal of incentive to keep on fighting. The traditional Latin Mass has become the thing that is standing in the way of a diabolical New World Order. And don't forget, you remember this. The traditional Catholic pioneers that I remember very, very well, and I know you do too, and you've read their books, and you know who I'm talking about, they weren't talking about liturgical preference. <laughs> right? It wasn't liturgical preference. They were talking about a war against the unbloody sacrifice of Calvary, right? They were trashing the churches or bulldozing the churches. They were knocking out the statues. They were putting communion in the hand. They were wrecking the faith of kids. The early traditional Catholics were on, they were defending the church. They weren't just looking for preference, right? And that's, and that's, and that's how we need to, to, to recast that. And everything that they did was all about what? It was, yeah, well, the Mass is central to everything that we are. It's central. It's a touchstone of our faith. But this is all about, friends, the social kingship of Jesus Christ. That's what they were talking about. That's what they were writing their books about. That's what was attacked again and again from Vatican II moving on. And remember, the social kingship of Jesus Christ. Pope Pius XI makes it a feast day out of that and writes an encyclical called Quas Primus about that right in the middle of the Nazi and the communist clash in, uh, throughout the whole world. 
Rather than talking about dialogue and inclusiveness and you know, all the other things we hear so much, he says, kingship of Christ is the only way out of here. You must proclaim Jesus Christ King. This is not a pious devotion. Don't confuse this with a pious devotion. This is an act of war, of militancy, that Jesus Christ is truly king, not because it's just a pretty thought. Because you know what? I come from Minneapolis, where they're burning the city down half the time, where they got, they got dragster races going up. They got crime through the roof. There's a carjacking every half an hour. Do you know why that is? You know why? It's because the kingship of Christ is being denied in cities like mine and all throughout the world. And if you get rid of Christ, if you get rid of the Ten Commandments, if you get rid of natural law, if you get rid of the civilizing influence of Christ the King, in our laws, you have chaos. There simply are not enough police on the face of the earth to police our cities if we don't police ourselves following the law of God, right? When I was a kid, if there was a store that was broken into, a liquor store, hardware, whatever, we didn't run in and steal stuff out of there, right? You didn't because you were policing yourself. And the cops are kind of like Andy Griffith and Barney. Like, yeah, of course, we'll get those doors fixed, but nobody's going to be robbing the store, right? That's gone now. And I said, bring that up only to say to make the point that the kingdom of Christ is absolutely vital to what and who and what we are. Because it has to do with the, with the law and order. Donald Trump talking about law and order. Well, he's getting in the right direction, but what he's actually talking about is a restoration of the, of, of the kingship of Christ in, a, in our societies. That's what this war is all about. So we need to make some of these points. We need to, as I said earlier, cast what we do as a crusade. Tell your children that this is a crusade. Give them that crusade because it's pretty neat. We write, we write books about it. You got movies about it, the crusade from the past. Give them the crusade and they'll keep the faith. That's what they did for, for me, the traditional Catholic pioneers. I wanted to be Michael Davies. It was like he was William Wallace or he was, he was uh, Edmund Campion. You know what I mean? Like these guys were heroes to us. All we wanted to do was tag after them as they fought this crusade. That's what's missing today from these kids with the, the poor, pathetic kids with the green, blue, multicolored hair and the studs in their noses and the tats all over. They got nothing. They have nothing to believe in. They are the tragic consequences. They are the victims of what happened to the Catholic Church. The moral authority of the world was silenced. That's what we're dealing with. That's what we're trying to restore. The moral voice of the world. And if we don't restore it, it's going to be lights out. It's going to be over. Traditional Catholicism is so much more than just liturgical preferences. And I would say, pretty much in conclusion, in closing, what time do we got now? I, gotta, I, I just don't want to hold you guys up. I gotta, you guys got a, you've got a, a Marine for an MC. I'm, I'm nervous. <laughs> Five minutes. That's all I need, Father. That's all I need. No. <laughs> perfect, perfect. All right, I got it. So I, no, I can do this. Watch me. I'll, I'll do this. I just want to. I want to leave you with this idea of duty versus honor, because it is our duty. No question. It's our duty to fight whatever our state in life is. It's our duty to fight. But I don't think it's necessarily most effective to present that, to, especially to our young people, as a duty. We need to present it as an honor. 
It's the greatest honor of our lives that we're confronted with right now. The greatest honor of our lives, no matter what they do to us, whether it's Klaus Schwab or the Vatican guys or the Great Reset or Traditionis Custodis, it's the greatest honor of our lives to be aware of what's happening, to have been given the grace. We don't know why. We didn't deserve it. We're not saints. We're not saying we're better than anybody else. But for whatever reason, we've been able to see the truth when literally millions have not been able to see it. We have been given a gift, a massive gift. And we all are going to be dead in a pretty short period of time anyway. I don't know about you all, but I'm not going to be alive 50 years from now. So what do we want to do? Just make sure I'm some crazy old guy in a nursing home dealing with all the horrible things that one has to deal with when they're 90 years old? Or do I want to look to make sure my life is spent in service of Christ the King, and if it's cut short by these people, I just pray that I have the guts, that I have the grace to make a good show on God. Like Thomas More said, this is not the stuff of which martyrs are made, and what would happen to him. So we have these conversations about martyrdom, but we have the conversation as the honor. Can you imagine if 50, 100, 200 years from now, they're telling your story? Like we're telling the story of Thomas More? And telling the story of your sons and your daughters, like we're talking about the Cristeros right now, like we're talking about the Vandeans, we have the opportunity to be players in history, to save our souls. That's the purpose of what we're here for anyway. All we have to do is know, love, and serve God, never let them change our mind, defend Mother Church, and we become heroes. We become saints that will be talked about in the future at some point. And maybe we'll make it into heaven at the same time. So we go to our friends in the Catholics and we say, we need to speak out now. I do not speak out every Sunday after evening because I want anybody to leave the church. I speak out because I know there are millions of people who are sad and depressed and discouraged and they think it's over and they think they're the only ones that don't understand what's going on, that what's happening to the church. Does God exist? Is the Catholic Church real? Does Mary exist? Is it all, is it all just a bunch of myth? Right? There are millions of them. When we raise our voices and we say, no, this is wrong, we stand with the cross, we stand with the church, we stand with the kingship of Christ, we stand with the Latin mass, we wake up people, we give them a gift. And I get, I get the, 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 the mail acknowledging that all the time, hundreds of it, thousands a week. Thank you. I'm staying in the church because you guys are speaking out. So don't be afraid. They want you to stop speaking out. They want Archbishop Vigano to shut the heck up, Right? The one archbishop, finally, who comes out and speaks the truth. He's the great, one of the greatest threats right now to the Vatican. But he's not driving anybody out of the church. They're staying because they see the truth and they hear the voice of Christ. And if we don't speak out, I'm going to close, I'm going to close with a quote from Alexander Solzhenitsyn. If we don't speak out, bad things are going to happen all the way around. We have an opportunity right now to make a difference, to speak out, and we need to do it. Sultanitsyn talks about those who wanted to be left alone. And I'll read it. It comes from the Gulag Archipelago. He says, The most terrifying force on earth comes from the hands of men who wanted to be left alone. The moment the men who wanted to be left alone are forced to fight back, it is a form of suicide. They are literally killing off who they used to be. Which is why, when forced to take up violence, these men who wanted to be left alone fight with unholy vengeance against those who murdered their former lives. They fight with raw hate and a drive that cannot be fathomed by those who are merely play-acting at politics and terror. True terror, says Solzhenitsyn, 
will arrive at these people's door and they will cry, scream, and beg for mercy. But it will fall upon the deaf ears of men who just wanted to be left alone. We don't want it to get to that point, do we? There are millions in the world today who need to be woken, friends. There are priests who need to be woken up, bishops who need to be woken up, so this doesn't happen. Because when they come for your kids, you're not going to give them to them. When they come for your faith, you're not going to apostatize. Right? So you're going to fight. Do you want to be a fighter like that, though? If we fight now, before it gets desperate, where we're going to have to literally be up against civil law and ecclesiastical law, it's going to get ugly. So I would say, against another incentive, another reason. Speak out now. We have, we have methods, we have ways of speaking out, peaceful ways of objecting. Do it. Fight for it. But don't, under any circumstances, silence yourself or allow yourself to be silenced. And I would close, I have to close on this. I have to close with a, with a, a reference to Our Lady because we may get to the point, maybe not. We've, we, we don't know where this is going to go. We may get to Catherine Emmerich's little cottages where the faith will survive. I don't think so, though. I think there's much more of a fight to be fought right now. But we need to, we need to, we need to turn to Our Lady at this time because we, there, there, we know that we will have the scapular, we'll have the rosary, that you never take these things away from us that are so powerful, even if they do succeed in taking the Mass away, which they won't. And I mentioned earlier that little, that little group at the foot of the cross. We talked about this before, St. John especially. How did St. John get to the foot of the cross? What's he doing there? Because the last we hear from John, he's in the garden terrified, and they're all running for their, for their lives from the soldiers who took the Master. One of them skinnied out of his clothes and ran off naked. He was so terrified. So how does John go from terror to standing strong at the foot of the cross for all eternity? <laughs> he must have gone to look for her. He went to warn Our Lady. He must have gone to warn Our Lady that the Master had been taken. And I would ask you to imagine the look on her face when he pounds on the door and he says, we must run. They've taken the Master, we must run. Come, I will take you, let's leave, let's hide. And she says, no, this is the whole purpose, this is the point of why he's here. This is it. We will go with him. And so in that moment, right, John must have, all the fear must have gone out of him. And Our Lady and John and Mary Magdalene walk, the most courageous people in history now, walk to the foot of the cross, watch him die, keep the faith, and help him start the church all over again. Help him make everything new all over again. We have that opportunity. I know you're doing that because I'm here and you're doing this. You're doing it. You're standing. You're doing your best. We're all helping each other. That's what Unite the Clans is all about. You're the clans. I'm the clan. I love your clan. This is so much fun. We're going to stand together. We're never, ever going to give up the faith. We're not going to let them terrorize us. We're not going to let them silence us. We're going to keep the faith, and we're going to come out of this stronger than ever. And it's been an honor for me to address you today. Thank you. God bless you. Long <laughs>